Hey, Compassion Christians, we're halfway through Financial Peace University. It's getting real, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, you're doing those budget committee meetings. Yeah, it's, it was all kind of fluffy and nice when you started, but now you're figuring out you're going to have to live like no one else so that later you're going to have the opportunity to live and give like no one else. But I can tell you this, if you will make this monster listen, yeah. this monster of debt, if you'll make him listen, he will listen, and he doesn't have to run rampant through your lives. Now listen, we've been so blessed to, to be able to go through FPU together. And of course, Dave helped us kick this thing off, and I just appreciate all of his encouragement here. But listen, there are stories coming out of our church family every day that should be an encouragement to you. And we're going to show you a story right now from Dylan and Catherine and how God has worked in their life as a young married couple using these FPU principles to man, just put them in a position where they can live like nobody else so they can live and give like nobody else. So check this out. We found out about Financial Peace University just in service one day. As we took the class, the first step is putting $1,000 in emergency fund. We were able to do that almost immediately. Second step is pay off debt. We didn't have any debt at the time, which was fantastic. So we were really learning a lot about what we did not want to go through. So step three is three to six months of expenses and savings. By the time we got done with the class, we were able to move on to step four investing into things and so we just became open to what that looked like what god wanted us to do and not just sitting on the resources that god had given us but being intentional about doing something with them originally when we were saving to kind of look at investment what we were doing was we were putting money back to buy a house for ourselves that's something that we want still want but the opportunity kind of presented itself to um jump into kind of a family organization. We have family in Dublin, Georgia that runs a women's recovery home and the option kind of came available to open one here. The more that we prayed about it together, we really felt like the question wasn't why or how could we do this? It was more of how could we not do this? You know, we have the resources. God has given us this opportunity and our answer, the more we prayed about it, we felt like had to be yes. Instead of investing the money that we had saved for our own home, we decided to um, invest that money into a women's recovery home here in Savannah called New Beginnings. New Beginnings is a home that exists to help women on their road to recovery. Um, what we do is they get to live here and they get to work in Savannah. And in the afternoons, they go to different classes. They may go to Celebrate Recovery here at Compassion. They go to NAAA. We have several ladies from our church that volunteer and do small groups with them. The biggest thing that we want them to grasp while they're here is um, that we want them to learn about Jesus. We want them to have a relationship with Jesus. And if that's all they walk away from, then we've met our goal here at New Beginnings. I believe that we should be generous simply because that's what God calls us to do. As we look at scripture, it says that faith without works is dead. I believe that God is calling us to be compassionate to other people and be bold in the way that we do that in ways that are inconvenient to us sometimes. As people in our church go through this, I would just encourage them to stick with it. Uh, even though we didn't necessarily deal with some of the debt aspects of the course, we definitely made sacrifices in the course and even afterwards. And that led to God doing these things through us. And so I would just encourage people on that, that on the other end of this, that God is going to do things in and through you that maybe wouldn't have happened otherwise. And it's going to be an amazing testament to you and to the people around you of what being a follower of Jesus looks like. Good stuff. Hey, my name is David. I'm one of the teachers here at Compassion. Good to see you. Uh, glad our regionals are with us right now. So we've embarked on this journey together. We started a few weeks ago. 
And that journey is to not be normal anymore, but to start being weird. Because normal is no good, weird is good. Because think about what normal means in our culture. This is what it means. Normal means that you always have debt that you're continually paying off and paying interest on that. You always have a car payment. You feel like it's always gonna be that way. And for a big chunk of people, you always have a student loan. And so uh, you can't even imagine not having those things, right? They've almost become part of the family. If you didn't have them, you feel like you know, you'd had kids missing or something, right? So normal means, normal means in our culture, um, we're broke and we don't have savings. We don't have savings for um, when emergencies happen. And again, we're always, always making those payments. Normal is not good, weird is good. So we've decided to get weird and do things a little bit different. Now, it's already starting to pay off, and we're just at the beginning of this. So we have some stats coming in, but um, these will get a lot more dramatic as the weeks go on. But already, in non-mortgage debt that, that people have personally paid off, people already at the beginning of this have paid off $1,082,000 worth of personal debt. That's really cool. People have already saved $349,000 into their personal savings. Like I said, this is gonna dramatically increase. And I wanna encourage you, if you didn't, you know, you, maybe you weren't here or didn't jump in at the beginning of this and whatever, it doesn't matter. Jump in right now. We're gonna be teaching through this right now in the next five weeks. And if you've gotten a little down or discouraged in the midst of all this, I wanna encourage you and throughout this message say, hey, just, just step back up again, okay? Um, stick with it. Um, and, and so either way, either jump in, either start, or, or kind of restart, and, and just be encouraged. Now, um, just think about, too, what it would feel like not to have those things. Like, what it would feel like, right? It would be very peaceful <laughs> not to have those things. And think about what it would be like not to have those things. All that, you know, non-mortgage debt and those payments and what it would be like. It would be good, right? Weird is good. Now, um, we are in the middle of this, and we're talking today about trusting in God's direction because you can have those things. It's a lie that those things always have to be a part of your life. You can have those things when you begin trusting God's direction. So everything we're teaching um, in the next five weeks is about that trust and, and how God can be trusted how he shows up when you do trust his direction on this stuff. And so I want to run through real quick. Here's, here's where we're going with this. The five characteristics of a church congregation that's walking through financial peace are one, they trust God completely. Two, they save money consistently. Three, they recognize God's ownership. Four, embrace God's, um, uh, embraces its God's given mission as a church body. And then five, commits to lifelong generosity. Now, all of these teachings in these five weeks are, are tied up in the concept of trust and the reality that we need to trust God, that God can be trusted, that he shows up when we do. And, and to grapple with the reality of trust and to be able to, to embrace it more, we need to understand a fundamental issue that's tied into that, and that is contentment. Contentment. Now, if I were to say, hey, um, what is contentment? Everybody in the room knows what it is, like inside. But then if I were to say, okay, well, give us a good definition. That's a little harder to do. Um, oh, okay, what is contentment? Well, and we might fumble around, but actually we'd probably, we'd probably actually do a pretty good job getting at what it is. Contentment is, we might say, it's kind of like you're okay inside right now. And that's, that's, that's pretty close. 
There's a lot of different writers who give definitions of this. A good one, um, a writer named Gary Thomas, who writes in the book Authentic Faith, he says, contentment is fundamentally soul rest. Soul rest. Your soul is at peace. I want to give a definition of a contentment. Here's what it is. Contentment is when you are at rest inside right now as things are. In other words, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I will be content when, right? First, once I have this, then I will be content. Contentment isn't dependent on if that thing happens. As soon as I get out of this kind of situation, then I'll be content. As soon as I get past this, as soon as I have that thing, then I'll be content. Contentment is right now, my soul is at rest. All kinds of stuff could be happening, but right now, inside, I'm okay. So this is a great question to kind of ask right now, and, and it'll take you half a second to feel the answer of this. Is your soul, you personally, is your soul at rest right now? Or are, are you waiting for something, right? Because a lot of people are not at rest inside. They are restless. And they're not even conscious of something that's operating inside of them that they feel like, well, I will be, I will be as soon as I have that one thing, right? A lot of people are restless because of something they didn't get. Maybe they didn't get a raise. Maybe they didn't get something. And they're like, man, I can't be at rest until that's all worked out. People are restless because... There's something I need, there's something I need, I need to have that. Once I get that computer, that car, that thing, then I will be at rest. They're restless because of something they saw somebody else has, and they're like, oh, if I had that, then I would be, and not aware that there's a cycle, because even when they do get that thing, and then it's the next thing, and there's a cycle, and there's a pattern they're operating with. And those are the two things that steal contentment more than any other thing. They're the big contentment killers. One, stuff I feel like I need right now. And two, stuff other people, other people have. Those are, the two, those are the two joy killers, the, the, the discontentment creators. So, so let's kind of dwell on that for a second. If we kind of sit on this a little bit and dwell on it, the, the text will make a lot more sense. The, the, what God is saying to us in the scripture will really come out to us. So the two biggest discontentment creators. Number one, stuff I feel like I must have now, right now, not later, like right now. Now, listen, this is true, and you might not have thought of it like this, but it's an amazing thing once you realize the reality of this next statement that I'm going to tell you, okay? Okay, the specific message you hear most often more loudly in any of your lives, any of our lives, is you need this and you need it now. That is the message any human being hears more on a daily basis than any other communication that's coming at them. And there's millions of sources of that, whether it's billboards or computers, you know, advertisements or things on, you know, any kind of screen, on a TV screen or anything else or anything we see. 
And I looked up several studies on this because just to, you know, really dig into the facts here. And there's a range. So researchers say that any person in our culture sees between 4,000 and 10,000 commercial advertisements every day. All right? Now, I'm going to have you do a little math problem here. All right, so don't freak out if you're like, wait, I'm in church. What? Math? No. Um, so if you, if right now, I know, Sunday. So if you, between 4,000 and 10,000 commercial messages you see a day, if you were born today, by the time you're 20 years old, and let's cut out the first two years of your life because you're a baby, you know, forget about that. But the rest of your life, how many commercial advertisements by the time you are 20 will you see? And I put it in your note sheets, and here's, here's your options, okay? Is it A, 1.5 million by the time you're 20, B, 15 million, C, 30 million, or is it D, a gazillion advertisements, all right? So I'm not, not going to give you time to work out the math, but the answer is 26 million 280,000 advertisements. Wow, that you see by the time you're 20. And if you said D a gazillion, you are also correct, okay? So if you said C or D, uh, you get to take communion today. All right, now, 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 now listen, listen, what is the purpose of those advertisements? Think about it, think about it, because we need, we need to expose some stuff that's happening in our lives that we're not aware of. What is the purpose of every single one of those advertisements? The answer is to make you feel like you need that thing and you need it now. Not you need that thing. You need that thing and you need it now. Because later, you're not even going to want it. They need you to feel like you need it now. That's how they get your money, okay? And we've been affected by this. It's the air we breathe. There's so many messages coming. We're not aware that that communication is happening to that degree. Oh, it's so normal, and everybody feels that way, and da-da-da-da-da, right? No wonder 70% of everyone in our culture is in debt. Because here's what happens. We live with this for so long, right? Again, this is just normal, right? Just feels normal. But it's actually a sickness that has pretty extreme consequences. Not only does it erode stuff that's going on inside, and we're all aware of that, once we really think about it, how that unrest and that lack of peace because of financial stress and everything erodes things inside, but it does a lot of damage in our lives. This, this feeling that I just need that next thing and I need it now. Dave Ramsey calls it stuffitis, okay? It's a sickness. Other people call it affluenza, right? We're all worried about the flu, we also need to be worried about affluenza, all right? The Bible calls it, well, the spiritual term for it, it would be materialism. We don't like to think of it like that, but that's what it is. I want to give you a definition of this, of this sickness. Stuffitis is a persistent, self-imposed, self-imposed need. Self-imposed need for stuff. The Bible has a word for this in, in the New Testament. The word mammon. Self-imposed need for stuff that creates a sickness in our lives. And it's a sickness because it damages us. And there's symptoms of it, of a core issue. The core issue is this self-imposed need. That I need this next thing before I'm okay inside. A key symptom of stuffitis is nearsightedness. We can only see what's right in front of us, and we're blind to the long-term consequences. We do this every time we buy something, 
with money we don't have with a credit card. I'm going to get this now because I'm so focused on it, preoccupied with my need for it, my need for it, that I'm not even going to, I'm going to pretend that I don't even have to actually pay for it later, which I will do, and pay double for it because I'm going to have to make interest payments on it. I'm so preoccupied with the needing it now that I ignore the long-term consequences. And this is where the majority of credit card debt comes from, crippling debt. And it's not just stuff in our culture that creates discontentment. It's stuff in our own hearts. There's kind of a partnership with how the world operates, okay, and our own predisposition to, to rebel or to, you know, not get in line with God's goodness for us. And we all struggle with this. And so the second big discontentment killer is comparison. Comparison kills contentment. For me, this is a big one, okay, because I'm telling you, this is like a, an immediate joy killer for me, comparison. I'm kind of a competitive person. I'm very aware of that. I, I pray all the time about it, you know, all this kind of stuff. But, I mean, it just affects me. So I have to be aware of it. I can be, and this is why social media is so cool and so terrible, right? I can be, I can be having a great day. I can be totally fine. I can be doing so good. And then I look at Facebook and I realize I'm a loser, right? <laughs> Everybody else's life is amazing except for mine. It's true. You should see my Facebook page and all the people. Like, they're amazing and everything that's going on in life is amazing and they're so happy and I'm not, you know, happy all the time. Like, they're happy all the time. And as soon as I compare myself, it just, boom, you know, my joy is gone. Um, and, and, you know, you could, you could look at anything in my life. I mean, I just say, I could take any random example, any random example at all. Okay, so I play golf, which is great because it's warm here all the time. I'm from Seattle and you get to, it's just a great sport to do. And so I'm putting, right? Um, I'm putting and uh, I got a putter and I'm making all my shots, having a great day. And everything's great. And wow, this putter's great. And then I see my buddy who's got the newer version of the putter. And suddenly I'm like, man, this thing doesn't even go right. This thing doesn't even, this is, this putter's lame. And then I'm, 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 I'm going to hide, I'm going to put the head cover back on to hide it because I'm embarrassed of this putter, right? You know, so, so anytime I begin to compare, our own hearts work, unfortunately, in this partnership with how the culture works. Now, I want to show you something. I want you to see a video. And I want to show you this video to help all of us see how comparison can kill joy. Now, there's this uh, researcher. I'm going to set it up. It's a researcher named uh, Franz DeWall, and he did a TED Talk, and he showed um, this experiment that he did uh, with monkeys. No monkeys were harmed in this experiment, okay? Um, but what he did was they put two monkeys side by side, okay? And here's how it worked. They gave them a task to do. So they taught them a task. The monkeys have a little, a little cup of rocks in their cage. And they give a rock to the researcher. And then the researcher then gives them a cucumber. Now, you need to know something about cucumbers and monkeys, okay? Monkeys like cucumbers. They like them. So they love giving the rock to the researcher because they know they're going to get a cucumber, and they love the cucumbers. And here's the deal. The monkeys will eat the cucumbers all day long because they love the cucumbers. They love the cucumbers. They are so happy with the cucumbers 
until another monkey gets a grape, okay? <laughs> now, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to use all your perception you know, ability here and try to identify the moment this creature's joy is stolen. Okay, so watch this, watch. The one on the left is the monkey who gets cucumber. The one on the right is the one who gets grapes. The one who gets cucumber, note that the first piece of cucumber is perfectly fine. The first piece he eats. Uh, then she sees the other one getting grape and you will see what happens. So she gives a rock to us, that's the task. And we give her a piece of cucumber and she eats it. The other one needs to give a rock to us. And that's what she does. And she gets a grape. And she eats it. The other one sees that. She gives a rock to us now, gets again cucumber. now against the wall. She needs to give it to us. And she gets cucumber again. <laughs> All right, so listen, so, so, so can you, can you identify? <laughs> Listen, discontentment is not something that just happens to us. It is something we choose. And understanding the scripture we're going to get into and understanding God's truth, you need to understand that. Because we think it's cause and effect. We think stuff happens and I'm, I, can't, I can't have God's peace and joy until I get past that. And then sometimes I don't have peace and joy, but the reality is I just saw someone get a grape and I got a cucumber, Right? I just saw that they got this other thing and I don't have that. And so discontentment happens to us. No, it's something we choose. Fundamentally, there's something going on inside. There's choices we are making. That doesn't minimize real tough things that are happening in our lives. But that's a reality. That helps us understand the scripture as we get into it. So, so I want to... I want to set this text up. In Philippians chapter 4, okay, you can go ahead and turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Um, you, can, you can turn to it in the Bible in front of you. So, in, in chapter 4, verses 10 through 13, the Apostle Paul gives a pretty striking message, but you have to understand what he's going through to understand how impactful what he's saying is. Because the Apostle Paul was the guy that God chose to bring the gospel to the Roman world, the Roman Empire, you know, tens of millions of people. More than anyone in human history outside of Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul is responsible for more people coming to Christ than anyone else. He was there at the very beginning bringing the gospel into the pagan world where all this stuff was foreign to, all this stuff about a, even one God was foreign to the culture. And, and so he's given a task by God himself Jesus reveals it to him. Jesus himself reveals it to him. And then Acts chapter 15, there's Acts, the book of Acts is this historical writing in the Bible 
That's the next 30 years after Jesus dies and is resurrected. We get to see how history unfolds. Acts 15, there's a meeting. It's called the Council of Jerusalem. And the apostles are meeting together. And at the end of the meeting, the apostles basically say, okay, um, we're going to continue our mission to bring Jesus to the Jewish people. And so that's this little circle here. And it's almost like they draw a map around, around Israel. And then everything else outside of that, the rest of the world, Paul, you got that, okay? Pretty big task. But Paul's a very goal-oriented, very motivated guy, the right guy, guy for the job. And ultimately, he's got his sights set on the city of Rome itself. And he's, he's kind of two-thirds by the time Philippians happens. He's about two-thirds through this goal. He's, he's, he's like his dreams are actually coming true. They're going to happen. And, and his goals are going to be achieved. And it all comes to a screeching halt because he gets thrown in prison. And he's there for a long time. And he doesn't know if he's going to get out. And so you could understand in a situation like this where someone wouldn't have contentment. God, I need to get back to your will. God, I need to get back to what I'm supposed to do. God, I need to get back to this. God, I got to get out of this situation. You know, I, you could understand discontentment. To everybody, it would make sense. So, and we can identify with that, right? Have you ever been, or are you feeling right now, a time in your life when whatever your expectation was or your hope, your goal, it is not working out. It didn't work out. You feel a little trapped. You feel like you can identify with that, right? How does that feel inside? And so when we, we, we can identify with that, we realize that, man, that's not easy to deal with. And then we hear what he actually says while he's in prison, while it looks like things have come to a halt and his expectations and hopes have been dashed. It makes this text really striking. So listen to what it says. I rejoice greatly in the Lord, and he's writing from prison, that at last you renewed your concern for me. You were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever. I have learned to be content whatever. Whatever the circumstances. I've learned to be content whatever. So when I read that, I realize who Paul is, very goal-oriented guy, guy with some expectations, kind of a driven dude, and understand the situation he's in and the potential for no joy, for no peace, for frustration. I think, what does this guy have that I don't have that allows him to say that? He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. And the truth of this passage jumps out, just like we've been talking about. There is not necessarily a relationship between my circumstances and my contentment, because what I think is my discontentment happens to me. I think my, my lack of joy, my lack of peace happens to me. This is not making light 
of tough stuff that happens because we go through things, okay? What it's trying to say, though, is there's an opportunity. We're not trapped inside. But I think, I think it's a cause and effect thing. I think that there's not a choice. There's not a relationship. There is a relationship. It happens, so I can't be content until I'm out of this. I can't be content until I get this thing. I can't be content until this is resolved. And, and, and God says, no, that's not true. That's not true. There, there is a choice here. Because Paul says, you, no, you can put me in any and every circumstance. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Holy smokes, that's power. That is power. Wow, that's power. To go through life with all its stuff and the busyness, maybe you're feeling it right now, maybe you're feeling that stress or that, man, I'm in this situation. But to be able to go, I'm okay. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to, that doesn't mean I'm going to be passive about what's going on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move through this stuff. I'm going to help change these things. But that, but that doesn't affect inside what God is, how, what, how God's work inside my heart. And people would say, if they saw your circumstance, I don't blame you for not being content. I don't blame you for not having peace. But Paul's going, no, well, you might not know the secret, you know. He says, I've learned the secrets. In any and every circumstance, I can get contentment. I can have it. I can maintain it. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Then he says, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Because this is important to point out because this seems so out of reach for some of us, right? Admittedly, for, there, there are many times when that has felt out of reach for me, to have peace inside in the midst of this. But let me just tell you, we're talking about all this stuff and we're trying to attack you know, just excessive spending and going into debt over uh, mostly things even that we don't actually need if we identify it, but lots of wants that we accumulate and accumulation. He's actually addressing that, but most of the people listening to him are not in our situation. They're in, in places of poverty. The scholars, you know, struggle finding a number, but they, they think in the, in the kind of the world at this time, about 70%, 7 out of 10 of people uh, who would have heard this message were in, in an impoverished situation. They're struggling with, am I how am I going to feed my family? Now, we're struggling with, how do I stop, like, buying all this junk and accumulating? <laughs> They're struggling with, how am I going to feed my family? So he's not, what I'm trying to say is, not to make anybody feel bad, I'm trying to say he's not giving a teaching that's out of reach for us. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I have learned the secrets of being content in any and every situation. I can do, and then he says something, I can do all this. And I hear people saying this verse, right? Through him who gives me strength. Why? Because a big chunk of us know this verse. And if you don't know it, you actually do because you've seen it under football players, you know, you know eye black, Philippians 4, right? It's a very famous verse. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We often will get a skewed interpretation of this, um, unfortunately, which is we understand this verse as saying, oh, I can, you know, 
win the Grammys because I believe I can do all things through, in other words, I can get my will done because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Or, or I can, if I'm the Atlanta Falcons, I can win the Super Bowl because I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Obviously, there wasn't enough faith, right? Okay, so listen, that, that just exposes that theology a little. This is not a text that says, you can get your will done. Now, at, at the same time, within that, there's a broad application. God, God does show up God, when we trust in him. He does show up in faith. He does, and, but he, he, he does more than we ask or imagine. For the Grammy winner, winner or loser, they can lose the Grammys, but they can be content is what the text is saying. Hey, I'm good. God's got a plan. God's working, you know? It's hard to lose the Super Bowl and be content, but you can, you can. I can do all this. I can be content no matter what. Even in dire circumstances, I can be content because I've learned the secret. A guy who's sitting in prison, whose dreams are kind of being squelched. He doesn't know if they're ever going to be fulfilled. And he says, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good right now. I'm good. No, it doesn't matter I'm not going to try to change the situation, but I'm good inside. The secret of contentment. And part of the secret we've already got gotten at, that it's learned. He says, I learned it. It's a process. Contentment is a muscle you grow by continually choosing it. See, it's a process. It, it, it's hard at the beginning to trust God, but here's, here's what happens. Right now, it might feel out of reach, but I'm going to choose to trust God. It's a big leap of faith, but I'm going to do it. And then what happens is it's a cycle. God shows up because God can be trusted because he says he will and he always does. So he shows up and he can be trusted. And now next time, you know what, I'm struggling, but he showed up last time, so I'm gonna choose to trust him and he shows up. And now this next time, this is a big deal, but I trusted God last time, I'm gonna choose to trust him and he shows up. And the more and more I choose it, the easier and easier it gets to trust God because the more I experience God showing up and honestly, some people haven't done that. And you're still afraid to take a step of faith and trust him. And I want to encourage you and tell you he can be trusted. So the secret is that I can choose it, but every time I do choose it, it gets easier to do because I experience God when I do. The more you choose to trust God, the more you get to experience God fulfill his promises. And the text isn't saying you're a bad person if you're not content right now. It's not saying that. It's saying there's an opportunity. You're not necessarily trapped and you might believe the lie that you are. That I, there's no way. You, you might not get out of debt for a long time. You're like, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to start giving. I'm going to start saving. I'm going to start doing what he says. Giving because he says he's going to bless. Saving, you know, for all those reasons. And it might be, and your time period might be three years. And, and by the way, I've seen so many people do this, and usually when they start doing it, their timetable actually, they end up getting out faster than they thought. But so what? Maybe it's three years. Maybe it's four. Whatever. But you don't have to wait for years to feel rest inside. You can have peace right now because you're like, I'm trusting in any and every circumstance. I'm walking in God's steps. So how do you get contentment? I want to give you just some helps. How do you get it? We need some help. 
Because sometimes it's hard to get. One, we begin by refusing to blame our circumstances for our lack of peace and joy. Just, just let, it, let that lie be exposed. It doesn't just happen to us. We choose it. It's going inside. We're not aware, going on inside. We're not aware of it. And I'm just going to stop blaming my circumstances and believing the lie that if I just had this, then I would be okay. If I just had this, then I would be okay. Number two, get preoccupied with God's mission for you and what he already has done for you. Now, we, we, everyone in the room has experienced a time when you have been preoccupied with your own wants or needs and it has robbed you of joy and then something happened or you saw something and your preoccupation with yourself was temporarily interrupted and you were filled with gratitude and none of your circumstances actually changed but you were grateful even though the stuff in your life didn't change this is an example. I'm going to give you one. This is an example of the reality that a preoccupation with God's mission is ultimately what can give us joy. And we don't realize it. We think, I just need to choose joy or choose. No, no, no. Get preoccupied with God's stuff. Start being grateful. And, and God's peace starts to fill you up. I could list 100, 200, 300 instances. And as soon as I give you an example, you could do the same thing. I'll give you one. I was in Chicago in like 1995, uh, 96, and I was in an inner city ministry and just, um, I was really struggling with a lot of stuff. I didn't have any money at all. I mean, really, I had nothing. I, people were sending me like boxes of Top Ramen and all kinds of stuff. And, and then my car broke down. I didn't have transportation. I'd, I was, and it, it was a, I was in a tough situation. I was struggling full-time in school, full-time doing this ministry. And um, man, inside, man, struggling, struggling inside because it was, because it was, like how, you know, all these things are kind of against me right now and preoccupied with myself. And you might go, I, that, that's understandable. I, okay, but I'm preoccupied with myself. I get a phone call saying this woman wants you to visit her in the hospital. She's hurt. I go to the hospital. By the time I get there, she's, she's in so much pain, she can't even, she can't even talk. She, she, she wanted me to come pray with her and I'm, I'm gonna pray with her, but 80% of her body was burned and she, she did end up dying. And she's, I'm standing there, and I could see it. And she's, she's writhing around, and she can't hear what I'm saying. I can't have a conversation. I don't even know what to do. I, I don't even know what to do. So I take out the Bible, and I just start reading through the Psalms and asking God in faith to let her heart hear the words, even though physically I'm not sure she can. And, and, um, and, I, and suddenly... I, I leave the hospital, right? And, then, and I remember even just being conscious of it. I'm like, God, I don't need anything. I don't need anything. I don't need anything. I don't care if you fix my car. I don't care. I don't care. I, God, I'm, there's food somewhere, right? I don't care. I don't need anything. I trust you. I, it doesn't matter. I was so preoccupied with myself. And then suddenly, nothing in my life changed. My car wasn't fixed. My stuff, I didn't get... But suddenly I'm super grateful, super grateful. Why? Because there's a temporary interruption in my preoccupation with myself. And when my mind started to get on God's mission for others, 
And that's what happens. And we, we got to do that. And I want to encourage you, if you're not jumping in with God's mission, he has a gift for you. He has stuff for you. So what else do we need? Here's what else helps. Start trusting in God, not Visa, okay? So we don't think about trusting in Visa. We think about using a credit card. But it's so striking that actually we're trusting in Visa because you are relying on the fact that maybe you're in debt, maybe you're not, but you're relying on the fact that if there is an emergency, actually when there is, that's okay. You can just put it on a credit card. You're not putting your faith in that God is going to supply your needs, but that, hey, I'll just put it on a credit card. I'll just go into more debt. I have debt. I know I can go into more debt if something else happens. I know I can go into more debt when the next thing happens. And God's going, I will meet all your needs. I will meet all your needs. Listen, that's why when we talk about giving and tithing, it's ultimately wrapped up in the concept of trust. God created the universe like this. Not to do it all himself, but to give us resources so we had to choose to have faith in him. We had to choose to trust him by giving because he delights in trust and faith. The Bible says that. It's impossible to please him without faith. So he created your life so that you would have to choose to trust him with your money. Tithing, then, is ultimately about faith that God is telling the truth that he can be trusted. And I'm just telling you, when a Christian, a person who's been a believer for a long time, isn't giving, they, they haven't had a life of tithing, it's fundamentally because they haven't chosen to trust God with that area of their life. And then they don't get to see God show up in the ways he would have shown up. I'm telling you, it's true. The Bible says this. Listen to Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. The only time the Bible ever says that. The only time God ever says, test me. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not a room to store it. God wants you to see that he can be trusted. That's why we do this card every year. We do it once a year. We put this card, this finance card in here. And it's about for three months, if this is a hard leap for you, if you haven't lived that life of faith with your, with your finances, it's about, it's, about, it's about a doable step for three months testing God and seeing if he will not show up. You start giving, you start seeing what God does in your life. That's why we, we put this in there every year. We have so many testimonies about this. People saying, I just needed, I needed a season like that to, let, to, to give God a chance to show up. I want to encourage you to test God and see what he will do. So here we are on this journey, right? We're on this journey to, to get weird because weird is good, okay? What would it mean at the end of this message here, what would it mean in your life, in your future, if, if you started trusting God in these areas, specifically these financial areas? What do you think that would mean? It would be pretty good, wouldn't it? If God actually did what he said he was going to do, if you actually had peace inside about that stuff, circumstances come what may, there's peace, there's savings to 
face things when they come up. You have the ability to respond to needs, to help people because you have savings to do that. And then God starts giving you ministry and mission. And God says, I can be trusted and, and I want to bless you. I want to give this stuff to you. So let's pray together right now. Let's pray for each other about this stuff. Okay, here we go. Father, we come to you now as a body and we lift each other up. So we can, so I want you to, I want you in your minds, everybody, just imagine the people around you. You know, you've seen some of their faces. You fist bumped them at the beginning. You know who some of those people are. Pray for them right now in your hearts as I lead you in prayer. We pray for the people around us. God, if, if they need to take some kind of step of faith, whether it's with their finances and give that to you so they can feel like they're in the center of your will in that area, whether it's another area of their life, we pray for them. We're doing the work of prayer right now with people around us, Lord. Whether it's faith itself, whether it's their salvation, they're not going to heaven right now because they haven't put their faith in Jesus and you love them and you want that for them and that's the thing you want for them more than anything else. Make that clear to that person near us right now, Lord. Thank you for hearing that prayer. Father, we pray for each other that anyone who's been discouraged in this process would be encouraged and just stick with it. We pray for encouragement around us. We pray for people to jump in with us. If they haven't been here, they haven't jumped in, they would just jump in right now and be with us in the middle of this and experience you showing up, experience your goodness. That's our prayer. Thank you for answering that. In the name of Jesus, amen.